Hey, podcast listeners, Rhea here. Just wanted to let you know that I'm accepting applications for the last session of the Fundraising Accelerator. If you want to raise more money from major donors and high net worth individuals, this is the place for you. The session will run from October to November 2021. Special pricing is available for students who enroll before July 31st. Check it out at RhiaWong.com. host, Rhea Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is Daniel Horgan, CEO and founder of Collabel, and we are talking about corporate partnerships, the keys and the best practices. So Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you and you brought your whole party, so this is going to be fun. (laughs) So, I know. This is amazing. I'm so glad everyone's here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Ain't no party like a Zoom party. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. well, before we jump into everything that we're dying to know about corporate partnerships, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what led you to founding Collabel? So for context, because I see I've got some Pittsburgh friends here. So I'm from Pittsburgh originally, and I started my career in the nonprofit space at 18. I started a nonprofit that was part of America's Promise. It's the first youth-led community of promise in the country. Went at that for a number of years before transitioning to corporate social responsibility at Capital One, where I led their community affairs work, including corporate grant making, as well as employee volunteerism across the U.S. And then I went out to launch DG Horgan Group, which was later rebranded as Collabel. And our core mission is really to work at the intersection of youth and workforce development and building bridges between nonprofit education and corporate private sector. We specifically focus on underrepresented talent on their path to employment and beyond with the goal of expanding their networks and helping to develop their talent to really set them up for success and take advantage of as many opportunities as they can access. I mean, Daniel, you are speaking my language, you know, knowing my background <laughs> out of youth development to the college to career trajectory is so important. So that's a whole other conversation for another day, which I really want to get into. But for the folks Sounds here, good. the price of admission is that they want to talk about corporate partnerships. So, I mean, look, 2020 has been a freaking year. 2021 has also been a bit of a ride. Tell me, what do you see as the future for corporate nonprofit partnerships in the foreseeable future? Yeah, so when I was thinking about this question, I wanted to start by first saying there's three things that I think will always remain true and we should never forget. (laughs) And that is number one, relationships have always mattered and will always continue to matter when building partnerships with companies. Two is that relevancy, so alignment to the mission, alignment to the values of the partners that you're trying to bring on to your mission, that is really important as well. And then the third is results, being able to showcase results that you as an organization have had in the past with other corporate partners and showing your commitment to driving towards the results that you collectively decide to pursue together in your partnership. So those three things, again, always remain the same, the three R's, if you will. The second prediction I have, which I've been saying now for about a year and a half or so, which I continue to see gaining momentum, is that I think corporate social responsibility or social impact, corporate citizenship, whatever the buzzword or however people are referring to it these days, will always continue to start to be integrated into the business more internally than it's being so externally focused as it has been in the past. So if you think about the corporate social responsibility space, a lot of times it's been about building these external relationships, largely for PR, for marketing, for investing in the local community where you operate. 
I think what you're starting to see is a shift of thinking about how do we drive social impact through our own operations, through our hiring practices, how we develop our own talent, how we then empower that talent to go out and support other talent in our communities. From the marketing standpoint, how are we truly understanding what our customers or future customers are interested in? And how do we align that to the mission, the work that we're doing in terms of our community programming and partnership work with nonprofits? So I think that integration internally will be important. And therefore, what is an action item that many people can think about is not just building one champion at a company, but building multiple champions across multiple functional areas will set you up for success, both in the short and the longer term. It'll help you understand the business more. It'll also help build a bench of supporters that can help you navigate and understand where the company is and where the company is going. The other prediction I'll make is I'm starting to see more and more of the work that we're doing is business-to-business partnerships. So I think you're going to start to see more businesses being willing to work with other businesses, specifically their customers, as a starting point, because it's a little bit safer for a company to partner with their, their customer versus a competitor. But I do see in certain sectors that companies that would be classified as quote-unquote competitors are starting to think about how they can collaborate for the good of the overall sector. And I think that's a positive direction that we're seeing happen. And I think we continue to lean into that moving forward. Okay, so Daniel, let me unpack that because that was a lot. So if you're saying that folks are focusing more on internal levers that they can pull, does that mean less money and less interaction with the outside external partners? No, not at all. I actually think it means more opportunity. So if you really think about it, traditionally, corporate partnerships have been funded through corporate philanthropy or corporate foundations. And I think moving forward, you're going to see more integration in the way that marketing teams are partnering with community partners on cause marketing campaigns or ways of reaching customers that that company is trying to connect with or learn about, learn from. I also think that when you look at HR, you're going to have HR resources being leveraged to help develop trainings or facilitate trainings to targeted demographics within our communities. And so therefore, there's great partnership opportunities there for nonprofits working with different segments of the community. I think even when you get down to like legal and operations, those different divisions, they want to attract great talent to their organization. And part of attracting great talent for the long haul is building a strong, solid reputation in your local community or within the targeted segments that you're trying to recruit from. And so those divisions, functional areas, they'll invest more in nonprofits as real partners, not just for a transaction in the moment, but for building a relationship longer term. Okay, that's great to hear. So I want to talk about relationships because you talked about that in my own fundraising practice. I feel like I didn't really crack the nut on the corporate piece. And so I've had corporate partnerships where we had some connection with someone very high up who could make some decisions about resource allocation. And I've also had situations where we've had like junior board members who have recommended to their bosses or to their corporate social responsibility departments that they get involved. So can you say a little bit more about what kinds of relationships and at what level of the company should we be thinking about creating those relationships? Yeah, from top to bottom and everywhere in between. (laughs) And I really mean that. I think you need the leaders of of a company to be on board and be champions at least be in the know around what it is that your work is all about and how it is that that company can leverage its assets to support you. I also think you have a lot of young talent that is specifically choosing where they work now based on how that company is committing to the community and engaging in the community. But the middle management, I always believe this when I worked at Capital One, middle management is where you are able to influence up and down. 
in how a company moves forward in a lot of the social impact work. If you can get middle management excited about your mission, engaged about your mission, then you can get them to speak up to their leadership to say, hey, this is a strategic partner for us. Here's how it aligns to our business. And you can get them to mobilize the more junior early careerists to be able to jump on board and volunteer with your organization, which brings you an entirely new network. I think when people think about corporate partnerships, oftentimes nonprofits immediately think money. And I think that what is most important is for us to think the awareness element first. Companies are made up of people, lots of people in some cases. When you're thinking about large-scale organizations, you have an opportunity to educate and connect with those people just to raise awareness around the work that you're doing day in and day out. Then you have an opportunity to engage them in low-effort activities, medium and high-effort activities. High effort being serving on a board or a junior board or a committee. Low effort being one-time events that you're trying to mobilize volunteers for, where you can educate them more and then move them into that mid-range where they're, they're the ones championing you. They're going back to their companies. They're talking with their employee resource groups. They're talking with their colleagues that they work side-by-side side with in their functional area. And they're saying, hey, I had this great experience with this organization. You should join me next time or here, learn more about the work that they're doing. So again, I think positioning champions at each level is really a strategic move for a lot of organizations. And it requires a little bit of work up front, honestly, but that work pays off because it creates a more sustainable relationship over time. Relying on just one point of contact that may or may not be there tomorrow means that that relationship may or may not be there tomorrow as well. Okay, Daniel, I'm going to be devil's advocate. I have some like PTSD from corporate partnerships, but I've yeah. certainly been in the position where I'm contacted by a corporation and they want to do this like one volunteer thing on this one specific day with like 50 of their people. And I end up having to like reconfigure things and essentially create a volunteer experience for a company in order to get financial support. So I'm wondering... Yeah. Can we get away from that? I mean, how can we actually engage in corporate partnerships that are mutually beneficial and don't create more work for an already stretched nonprofit? Yeah, I've been in those shoes and managed a lot of those last minute requests. And then the worst part is when you go out of your way to make something really, really work for tomorrow and then like half the group shows up. <laughs> That's the reality of what we often face. But here's the deal. I actually think that those experiences, those are on ramp to a partnership. And as frustrating as they may be, we have to zoom out and understand why is somebody reaching out to our organization and asking us for this last minute request? It's because they have a need on their end that they're trying to fulfill. So the more we understand, the more curious we get about what they're trying to accomplish, it gives us a window into how the organization is operating, what the company is thinking about, what are their top priorities, where is the business shifting? And that experience, as frustrating as it might be in the short term, we can prepare for those things. So if we're consistent in thinking about what is our stewardship plan for corporate partnerships, and this is an element that I often think nonprofits don't have in play. And just like a development strategy or communications plan, a corporate stewardship plan says, when we get that initial call from somebody, from that moment forward, they enter into our ecosystem. How do we want to steward that relationship from that first moment to that point of ongoing sustainable engagement. And so I think there, there's a number of tactics that you can do. One is that you don't just do everything that the company wants you to do in that moment and drop everything around your mission. You take it through a filter. You ask yourself, is this aligned to our mission? Is it gonna help us fulfill a need that we have? Are we aligned in terms of values with this company? Is this just a transactional moment or does this company genuinely want to build a partnership with us beyond this moment in time? And I think when the answers become yes to those questions, then the answer is, 
green light it, let's move forward. And let's be really intentional about how we're stewarding this relationship so that when those volunteers come out for that one-time event, we use it as a moment to educate them about our mission and our work. We leverage people from our organizations, whether it's the clients that we're serving or the participants in our programs, as partners with us in leading those projects. So now these new corporate volunteers are working side by side, the recipients of our organizations, so that they can hear and understand the impact of the mission straight from the front line. And again, I think that is what triggers the partnership versus just the spark of a connection. So let's talk about money, because I always like talking about money. So how would you <laughs> advise nonprofits, corporate partnership of some sort, or maybe like a CSR volunteer opportunity? And the company thinks that the volunteer experience is their contribution, not understanding, of course, that it actually costs money for the nonprofit to create that experience. Like, How would you broach that topic? Yeah, I think there's two different ways that I would look at it. One is, and I am totally, I would say, I'm a little bit biased to this point of view because it's been a strategy that I've used my entire career and I think is an underutilized strategy, which is there is real value in pro bono support. If, again, you're intentional about taking that moment of pro bono support and really investing in it to build the relationship. So, for example, I will commit to doing things pro bono to spark the connection and build the relationship. But if in that moment, I feel like, yeah, they're totally just taking advantage of me and not really interested in building a partnership, then that's where it ends. So I will say that there, that's one perspective. The other perspective is when it comes to the money side of things. And I think that we have to be clear as, as a nonprofit organization, what is the value add that you're bringing to the company? And then translate that value add into their language. So for example, if you're working with a bank, Asking the bank in the process of you building your partnership, as you want to go out to a new market and engage a new customer base, what are some of the steps that you go through to build relationships with new customers? What does it cost you to build those relationships? In the same way that we are building our organization and trying to reach more people, drive more impact, there's a cost to us on the operations, the management of those programs to be able to do that. So if we can find a win-win in our partnership where you're helping us to cover those expenses, we can help you achieve the goal that you're trying to reach in either engaging your employees or reaching a new customer segment or elevating and spotlighting the brand so that more people are aware of how you're investing in the community. But again, being clear about the value add you bring and being transparent in the way you communicate it, an easier conversation to have, in my opinion. That's really helpful, Daniel. Okay, so you've sort of touched on this, but I would love for you to kind of pull this out and highlight it. What are some of the building blocks that nonprofits need to have in order to be attractive to a corporate partner? I had so many on my list that I have to like shorten those because I know we're limited on time. <laughs> so here are the ones that I think are most important. First is focus and flexibility. And I totally get that those things may sound opposite. <laughs> so focus meaning know exactly what your mission is as an organization. Because the more focused you are in your corporate partnership work, it will eliminate the mission drift issue. So you just saying yes to everybody, which then takes you way off course your mission, being very focused and saying, like at Collabel, we support underrepresented talent on their path to and through employment through three specific programs. That's what we do. Flexible, though, means we can work with a company based on timelines, based on the number of people they're trying to engage, based on the areas that they're trying to reach, we can be flexible in that regard to really meet the company where they are and then bring them along our journey together moving forward. I think that's a big part of a key building block. The second one is being responsive. So I work with a lot of companies and I'm trying to help them build partnerships with community organizations. 
And two things are my biggest pet peeves. Community organizations that have no response. No one ever follows up. I leave messages. I send emails. I write in the contact us section of websites. Nobody ever responds. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. The second thing is contact information on a website. There's got to be somebody, a person with a name and an email address that I can reach out to to connect with if I'm interested in just exploring more about your organization or building a partnership with you. So that responsiveness is a key building block that I think is often missed. The third is curiosity. So I think that as nonprofits, we know what we want. We know what our mission is, but we have to be curious first about what that company's mission is, what their values are, what their challenges are, what their business practices, what their business language is. The more curious we are, the more willing to learn those things, they're able to translate between our work and their work to find the happy medium and to get to a point where we understand each other. When we understand each other, we can work more effectively together. So I think that's a key building block. And the last one is just a solution orientation. So I think that Look, there are enough problems in this world, and there will always be a challenge of the day. But we have to be focused on advancing solutions to those challenges. Now, that doesn't mean we don't raise awareness around the issues. We need to be educating and engaging at the same time. And I think as nonprofits, that's a key building block to building a partnership with a company. Don't just bring a group of 25 volunteers out for a one-day project and never really focus on how do I educate this group of people who've never heard of our organization or doesn't really understand the nitty gritty of the issue we're trying to address? How do I create an experience for them that is educating and engaging them? It's making them feel something so that when they leave, we now have a new group of ambassadors, a new group of champions for our cause. Let me ask you this, because it's something I really wonder. In your mind, what is the spectrum of partnership that we can think about. So I'm thinking everything like on the very high end, something like the way that City Year and Timberland have a relationship. And then on the sort of lower end, maybe like a company buys a table at a gala. So I'm wondering, can you walk us through like the different types of partnerships? And would you say that partnerships and sponsorships are synonymous? Yeah, so I love that question. So I think that instead of thinking about it as different types of partnerships or like your traditional like gala sponsorship sheet that says gold, silver, bronze. (laughs) Think of it instead as a journey, just like any other relationship. Again, our company partnerships are relationships with people. It's not just a relationship with a logo on a page. It's with real people that are standing up that company. And so I think that if we think about it as a continuum of engagement, along this continuum, there's all these on-ramps. Some people will come onto that on-ramp with that one-time annoying request that you mentioned earlier. (laughs) Like, hey, we need a project tomorrow for 30 people (laughs) and make it happen fast and there's no budget. (laughs) But that's an on-ramp. Then you have those people that come to the table and say, hey, we've got money left over at the end of our year or the end of our quarter and we want to sponsor something within your organization. We don't know what. Here's the amount of money that we have. That's another on-ramp. So the question is on your continuum of engagement, wherever somebody comes in, you have to know what the next rung up is. So again, I always say this when I worked in workforce development space. I'll go to people with my initial ask that is the most important for the people I'm trying to engage in my program. Will you provide an internship, apprenticeship, or job to the individuals in our program? No, no, we can't do that. We already work with so many other people. We don't have enough staff, blah, blah, blah. I understand. Would you be willing to do informational interviews with the individuals in our program so that they can learn more about your career pathway personally, as well as the opportunities at your company down the road? We just don't have enough time. We don't have enough capacity, blah, blah, blah. 
I have a lot of candidates who develop resumes. If I sent you two or three resumes, would you take 20, 30 minutes to review those resumes via email, send feedback back to the participants? Yeah, we could do that. So you have to calculate where on your continuum somebody is, meet them where they are, and then know the next step up so that you can steward that relationship over time to get there. And I think, again, that's often a missed ingredient that a lot of nonprofit organizations fail to think about. They think about, here's our gala, here's our one-time volunteer opportunities, here's how it works for us. And I think, again, we have to zoom out and say, how can we make sure this works for the companies that we're trying to engage? Because there's a higher goal in us being able to work more collaboratively together, we can drive more impact, we can strengthen the community overall, we can set the example. That's super helpful because I think a lot about how that might be analogous to the way that we deal with donors. Like I think so often we don't think enough about the needs of our donors, or in this case, the need, the business needs of our corporate partners. And we're just thinking about ourselves. It's sort of like being stuck at the dinner party with someone who just talks about themselves. No one wants to be next to that person. Don't be that person. Exactly. <laughs> You sort of touched on this, but I'm wondering, can you speak a little bit more in depth about some of the most common mistakes that you've seen nonprofits make with companies and vice versa? Yeah. And I really appreciate the way you phrased that question because mistakes happen on both sides as in any relationship. <laughs> so I think some of the common mistakes that often happen are failing to balance teaching and learning. And what I mean by that is sometimes you have a partner, sometimes you have a company that comes to a nonprofit and it's like, oh, this nonprofit, they need all of the support that we can bring as a big company. And what they're failing to think about in that moment is, what can I learn from this nonprofit based on the work that they do every day on the front lines of our community with an audience that we may or may not know much about, but an audience that's important to us as a member of the same community. And so I think that the company needs to think about how can I learn from, what's my learning agenda and the partnership work that I'm engaging in with nonprofits. The same thing, again, I mentioned earlier around the nonprofit. We go with what we want, and we don't always balance the learning aspect of what can I learn from this business. I'm somebody who I'm always trying to learn from sectors outside of where I'm working, and then thinking about how can I bring those lessons and apply them to the context that I have right now. And I think that, again, more nonprofits could do that, and vice versa. More companies could do that on the nonprofit side. There is a ton of innovation in the nonprofit sector that companies could be learning from. And again, vice versa. The second I would say is a big mistake is money trumping all. Nonprofits lead by prioritizing money. I think a lot of companies lead by either consciously or unconsciously leaning into the power behind their money. And I think that when we think about the mistake, the mistake is very transactional versus prioritizing the relationship, which can bring about the resources that you need to advance your mission. But if you prioritize getting to know the people and then getting to know the understanding of the context of the business, of the organization, on the nonprofit side, then you can start to really build the foundation of a great partnership that will be longer term, be more sustainable. I think the other thing I would just mention is that I didn't say earlier would just be consistency across your team. And so what I mean by that is if a company calls up your organization, because again, you don't have anybody listed on your website, so they just call your main line, the person that answers your phone should say the same three things as your top organizational needs, as your executive director, program lead, board chair, top donor, they all should be speaking the same language. And this is true too of companies. Like the CEO should be saying the same thing that the foundation lead or social impact lead or the middle manager or the entry level employee who just joined the organization. There's a strategy around how we communicate those talking points. 
how we ensure consistency. And that goes back to the point earlier, a building block of focus is going to get you off on the right step. When you hear five different messages from five different people, it's really clear that there's a lack of alignment. There's a lack of clarity around where the organization is going. And to me, that's a huge red flag in terms of a partnership and a big mistake on both sides of the nonprofit and the company. Okay, I have two last questions and I'm going to open it up because I'm sure lots of people have lots of questions. But I'm curious, Daniel, in your perspective, after the murder of George Floyd last summer, I think we saw a lot of statements from companies, you know, corporate statements of commitment to racial justice, et cetera. Do you see that actually translating into real commitments, either through volunteerism or actual research, like money dollars in the door? Yeah, I mean, I think this is an area that I work out every day, to be honest with you. And I think that there's a couple of things I'll say and would love to have a further conversation on this one. <laughs> First, the day after that, I was leading a training with a large pharmaceutical company. And I led the training by taking 10 minutes at the beginning to talk about how actions speak louder than words. So when we go to press with letters and don't match our letters with actions, that demonstrate our true commitment to the things that we communicated in a letter, then to me, those words fell flat and don't mean anything. And that's true of any relationship as well. Think about our own personal relationships. People can say a lot of things, but if their actions don't align, the relationship is not solid. The second is, I think a lot of people, again, hid behind power of money. We can throw money at something and expect it to change. We can broadcast loudly how much money we're putting behind something to demonstrate our power. But to me, the power is in the change. The power is in the systems work that you're going to do as a company or as a nonprofit to ensure more equitable hiring practices, more policies and procedures related to the health and wellness, the well-being of your people, all your people that are part of your team. So I think that in this space in particular, this is an opportunity for nonprofit organizations to be the teacher, to educate from the front lines of our community the reality of people every day not having equitable access to these types of opportunities or resources, and be a partner at the table in shaping not just an activity, a one-time event, but shaping an experience for a company to push them from just saying words to putting into action the things that are going to lead to real change. And I think, again, that is an area that a lot of nonprofits, they don't know necessarily where or how to lean into that. And instead of just not doing it, I think if we had real honest conversations and said, look, we might not have all the answers, but we work with this group of individuals every single day. And we can educate you on what we have learned and bring them to the table so they can speak for themselves. And together, we can learn how to improve our community from your company's point of view, from our nonprofit, and from the individuals right next to us. And so that, to me, is the real opportunity that is ours to seize ASAP. <laughs> One last question. I want to talk about something you mentioned around power. And I think you're right. Companies lead with the power of their money. Nonprofits lead with the need for the money. And I'm just wondering... Do you have any tactical tips about how do you really equalize that power differential? Because, I mean, to your point, I think there is a lot that can be learned on both sides. If the spirit of learning and the spirit of humility is not there, what do you do? So in terms of power, I think that I would say nonprofits have a lot of power and they don't choose to use it. 
And so I think in that case, nonprofits have a lot of data. I mean, just think about the last five plus years, the level of data <laughs> collection that nonprofits have had to jump through in terms of foundations and philanthropic donors saying, we want to see this very formal evaluation. We don't always want to fund it, but we want to see the data behind the results of your program. I think what's important for us to understand is that we have to analyze that data and then use that data to elevate our power at the same table that we're trying to build a partnership. And what I mean by that is if a company says in a very public way, we need to diversify our employee base in order to equalize representation at senior level all the way down to early careers. We have data on what works or doesn't work with certain targeted demographics that are in our programs. And we can use that data as power to say, we can help you develop strategies. We can help you develop programs to reach the audience that you say you're interested in reaching and do it not just to get them a job, but do it to get them a job and help them be successful in that job, in the ecosystem of your company or in the sector. And so I think that, again, the equalizer is coming to the table and knowing your value. As a nonprofit organization, you've got to know your value and it's got to be consistently communicated, again, from all the different levels of your organization, from the board to the staff to your donors and volunteers. And I think it doesn't have to be complex. Just know what are the two or three things that your organization does really, really well that you can teach and help other people understand. I'm gonna give you a really, I know we wanna to jump to the chat, but I gotta give you a quick example here. So in Pittsburgh, shout out to my Pittsburgh friends that are on the call. So very early in my career, I was running Pittsburgh Cares, which is the local volunteer center in Pittsburgh. And we had an organization called Constant Contact, which was Contact Pittsburgh, which is the local suicide prevention line. And they were constantly sort of trying to get volunteers, train them up in a very robust training, get them on the lines to help. What they found was that they were having challenges raising money, building corporate partnerships. And in working with them, I worked with their executive director at the time. Her name is Jan. And I said, Jan, do you have an incredible training for your volunteers on active listening, on empathy, on negotiation? The same skills that if you look at what employers are trying to recruit for and hire for and develop in their talent, but they can't find. So as an opportunity for your organization to build partnerships with companies and help raise awareness of your organization, give them the opportunity to access your training as a fee-for-service model, and in turn, recruit volunteers to staff your line. And it was a great program. It was an opportunity for Contact Pittsburgh to get their name out there and build a new base of supporters, the financial supporters they need, but also the volunteers in a very different way than they had been used to. And I just think that's a good example of understanding your strengths and understanding the power that you already have. I love that example because actually, funny enough, we just posted a podcast about fee-for-service. And I think the more we can think as nonprofits about how to productize some of what we do and some of our best practices, the better able we are to bring the needed resources to our cause. Sam, you want to <laughs> jump in this chat? I surely will. <laughs> Thank you so much for the amazing conversation. Dan, great to see you. I was really curious <laughs> to know where the conversation begins. So you talked a lot about building the relationship, but there has to be a starting point. And I'm curious to know if it's you actively reaching out with an email, a phone call, or if you've just done so much work in this space that people refer you to other organizations. Like what does that initial touch point look like? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different tactics that I would recommend. I'll give you three that I often use that have worked really well for me, and then I'm happy to share others, and I, you'll have my contact information. I'm happy to reach out to folks after. So first and foremost, you have to go where the people are that you want to connect to. <laughs> so I think so often in the nonprofit space, we go to the same circles, the same events, the same meetings. We see the same people hour after hour, Zoom after Zoom. We've got to put ourselves in spaces that are very different. Again, the more we diversify our network, the more we put ourselves in spaces where we can learn and lean into different aspects of our communities, then we're going to meet people who are working at it from different angles. And we can, again, teach them what we're doing at our organizations and learn from them in order to build a partnership. So that would be one, find those innovative spaces. If you want to work with HR people, go where HR people are. Connect with your local SHRM chapter, your local HR society, go to those convenings, those networking events. The second is Use social as a tool for good. <laughs> so people, businesses, companies are promoting the things that they're doing, and oftentimes they're promoting it through their own employees. So they're spotlighting the head of an employee resource group, or they're spotlighting somebody who's a senior leader or a local board member for a nonprofit organization. Follow up in those things. Start following those people. Don't be a stalker and be weird, but <laughs> reach out and say like, hey, I saw what you're doing, and I just want to say like, I love that work. We're doing very similar work. If you're ever interested in learning about our programs, definitely feel free to, to hit me up. You 99% of the time will not get a response to that. <laughs> and so what it means is continue to engage with them, continue to comment on the things they're posting on LinkedIn or on Twitter, and continue just to spotlight your own work. And I'm telling you, I probably can count five to 10 partnerships that I've connected with purely through social media outreach. People I never knew, companies I never heard of before, just being proactive and reaching out learning from them and showing a genuine interest in a partnership, not just a transaction. They knew I didn't just want to get something. It's not that weird LinkedIn message that you get that sounds like somebody's trying to sell you something. It's a genuine interest in connecting. That would be the second tip. The third is leverage your current network to build your new network. So the more transparent nonprofits are about who you're trying to reach. If I were to ask every nonprofit who's listening in on this, who are the top five companies that you're trying to build connections with? I would want every one of your organizations to be able to have that list ready to go. And if you don't have it ready to go, make it. <laughs> because when you're out meeting with people, you can say to a company who's in the same sector, like maybe you're meeting with an IT company, and you can say like, hey, I'm working with you here, LinkedIn. Do you by any chance know anybody who's over at SurveyMonkey or Atlassian or Okta? I'd love to connect with them. So people know people within their sectors. If you're clear about who you want to connect with, people often want to help you. If you say, like, I want to reach out to Target. Oh, I know somebody who works at Target. I could do an intro for you. That will happen 80% of the time. And that's your on-ramp. That's your opportunity to get connected. And I'd love to add one. We actually had a lot of luck with the junior board. So we established a junior board and they were largely people who were in their first or second jobs who had more time on their hands to do volunteer opportunities. But it was those younger employees that were big companies that were able to make introductions to their bosses. So that could be another in. Absolutely. Okay. Julie, you have a question. 
Yes, thank you so much for this podcast. This is really helpful. As someone who has worked with Dan as a consultant, seeing the magic that you create, Dan, on multiple fronts, witnessing you in the corporate partnership field is incredible and the relationships that you build. And I've seen how important relationships are. Also through have witnessed that and the talent accelerator that you do to, to mobilize and empower young leaders. And I'm wondering, you kind of, like I said, live powerfully in that intersection of your mission and empowering young professionals, especially young men of color and underrepresented youth. And then you have this entree working with some of the biggest global companies, just the spirit of relationships. How do you use that space to create opportunities, both in your mission to empower young leaders and also having that privileged spot of working with Starbucks and Apple and so many big corporations? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So I think I said it earlier, like it should always be about education and engagement at the same time. Those two things should always be in lockstep with each other. And this was an an important lesson that I think I learned largely through my work when I was running Pittsburgh Cares, going back to the fee-for-service. So when I became executive director of Pittsburgh Cares, there was a pretty significant level of debt that I learned very quickly that I needed to figure out how to solve. And one of the ways that we did that is we built a program called Business Cares, which essentially was a fee-for-service model where we managed the employee volunteer initiatives of a lot of companies in the Pittsburgh region. And what I realized was when I connected these employee volunteers and companies with local nonprofits or local schools, these volunteers would show up for eight-hour shifts to like transform an entire school or like redo a boys and girls club from top to bottom. And not once would anybody communicate to them what the mission was, what the needs were, the challenges that the students were facing, the successes of the students. It was always about the shovels are over there, the paint over here, get to work. And I think that to me, that's the engagement side of it. Maybe not done as well as it could be, but the missing component is the educate component. And so it shouldn't be viewed as an opportunity. And I get, you know, going back to the question earlier about like these things pop up and we've got to figure out how to make them work sometimes at a very last minute. But we also have to know how to deploy our people as ambassadors of our mission and ambassadors of our work to be incredible spokespeople for the front line and then bring the front line to those company partnerships so they start to understand and hear. Again, I think we were talking about this before we jumped into the podcast. A large global company can be saying lots of things about why they can't change their hiring practices to better recruit or engage underrepresented talent when it's a statistic or a sheet of paper that's a policy. But when I'm sitting across from a young man of color who's telling me his life story and the resilience that comes out in that story, if I'm sitting in that global company chair in HR, the first thought that's going to come to mind in that storytelling experience is, man, I want this young man on my team. And that's the shift. That's where we have to think about education is not like a sheet of paper or a website that's like a doormat to our organization. Education is about the experiences that we're creating for companies and the people of those companies to be really understanding our mission. And I think through that, you start to open doors to all sorts of opportunities that you as an organization might not even realize are out there or that you could benefit from. Great answer. Okay, we've got a last question coming in from Matt. This is a great question. Matt? Hey, thanks so much for doing this. I've been in my role for about a year and just starting corporate partnerships at my nonprofit. It's been lots of learning and I wholeheartedly agree with you on the developing relationships with people across a company. Like that's been so successful for us so far. 
I will say though, one of the things I didn't quite understand when I moved into this role was how really you need an entire organization to like make these nonprofit corporate partnerships work. So if you're doing pro bono volunteerism, you're going to need different teams, right, to do it. And I think that, or if you're going to do programmatic work, like you obviously need the support of your programs team, because the last thing you want is to say, we're doing this thing with this big company programs team. You need to like help us figure that you need to help us like make this work. There's a lot of resentment that could be bred if you don't do it the right way. So my question for you is any best practices to get, you know, the team internally ready for these kinds of partnerships because they are involved. There are a lot of work that require everyone on deck at times I've found. And so my challenge has been doing it in a way that's like not irritating and it breeds goodwill amongst team members. And so any best practices or tips you can share, that would be really awesome. Yeah, it's a great question, Matthew. And obviously not being irritating is a good starting point <laughs> for any of your colleagues that you're trying to mobilize in a shared mission. I think that for me, it comes down to like being really intentional about how you're training people to be able to engage in these spaces. And I would go so far as to say, it's not a corporate partnership 101 training. It's a relationship building and management training. And those two things together, we do a lot of work in that space because a lot of times people are like, how do we make connections? I can tell you how to make connections all day long, but I can't tell you the number of people that have made connections through our programs that never do anything with those connections, which is a missed opportunity. And so I think that training your organization staff, again, from your board to your senior leaders, to all the employees, your donors, your volunteers, four times a year hosting a relationship building and management training, an experience that gets people to understand how to go about doing that effectively, it will shift not only your internal culture and how people work together, it'll shift and ripple out into how they work with partners, whether that's the individuals in your programs or your nonprofit partners that you're collaborating with in the community, the companies that you're trying to bring to the table, the donors. It'll make people prioritize relationships, again, versus transactions. Because you know, I've been there. When you go to that team, and you know, when I was at Capital One, you go to the team and say, this nonprofit that we're working with has this IT challenge. Is somebody in IT small group willing to help support them? It's transactional. And so what I do is I try to think about how can I educate them and engage them at the same time in something that's an on-ramp to getting them to the pro bono project. Starting with the pro bono project for me is like going to a first-time donor and saying, I would love it if you would write me a million-dollar check to support our mission. I know you got the money, and I know you're excited about our mission, even though you've never heard of us before, and are you willing to do it? Nobody does that, or most people don't do that, <laughs> who have development jobs. And so thinking clearly about how do we build a relationship? How do we understand with curiosity where that person is, what they're interested in, what they're motivated by, and then find the on-ramp and steward the relationship? So I think the same would be true in terms of the internal training, the internal coaching. I think doing second to that would be reflection. Where are we falling short in our relationships? Where are we not hitting the mark in terms of taking a relationship from its on-ramp moment to the next line up? What's that time like? Doing some data tracking to say, like, how much time does it take to get the one-time volunteer group to a more ongoing commitment? What percentage of those 30 people end up being more ongoing volunteer supports for us? And finding your benchmark and then challenging yourself as an organization to focus together on moving the needle there. I think when every department, every team, every individual kind of feels like they have a different set of goals, a different set of measures or expectations, it becomes a lot more challenging because it's like, that's your thing. That's not my thing. But if relationship building and management is everyone's thing, 
then it changes the perspective a little bit. I'd love to add to that too, Daniel, because I think, Matt, if I'm not mistaken, you're also maybe alluding to the fact that I think that there tends to be silos, organizations, and for example, I always had a hard time talking with the program team about fundraising and the fact that it is everyone's job to fundraise, to be out in the organization, to be ambassadors, to talk about the work that we do. And I think our reluctance to really talk about money and to talk about what it takes to run a nonprofit means that some people, to your point, Daniel, think it's not their job. If I'm a program person, I don't have to deal with that dirty money stuff. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, one of the things we do with boards of directors is we do a training around relationship building that I call brand ambassadorship. And I'll tell you a quick story. So I was working with a board member, a very senior executive who came to me and said, I don't do fundraising. I'm terrible at it. I don't want to ask my friends for money. I don't want to do any of those things. And so I said, okay, well, tell me. And this person was on the board of a children's museum. Why did you get involved in the children's museum? Well, I took my family there. I took my kids there all the time. I made so many of my closest friends by being at the children's museum. And I said, okay, so tell me what was the last and the most recent example of your engagement? Oh, I just hosted my daughter's birthday party there. And we invited all these people from the community. I'm like, did you broadcast that on your social channel, like celebrate the Children's Museum as a great asset for a community? Not just spotlighting your child's birthday, but spotlighting what it was that you, why it was that you chose that Children's Museum. She's like, oh, I totally could do that. I'm like, that is being a great brand ambassador. And as a board member, you're sparking other people to think to themselves, oh, I could be for service. I could rent out the Children's Museum for a birthday party oh, I should learn more about the programming they're doing in the community. Sometimes we think it's going to Dan and asking Dan to write a $100 check is less common than just getting Dan excited about the thing that you're excited about. And if we're friends and we manage our relationship well, I care about you and so I want to support you. And I think that's a big shift when it comes to fundraising, but also aligns to corporate partnership work too. Daniel, you and I are singing from the same songbook. I can't tell you the number of times I talk to boards and I say, look, the mistake that you all are making is that you think fundraising is about the money. It is about the relationship. And when we yep. make it about the money, then it becomes transactional. But when we make it about the yep. work and the relationship, it becomes generative. All right. You know what? We could talk forever and ever. This has been so fun. Where can people find you, Daniel, if they want to learn more about the work that you're doing and get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So the website is collabel.com, C-O-L-A-B as in boy, L.com. Or you can shoot me an email at daniel at collabel.com. Love to hear from you. Awesome. And we'll make sure to put all of your information in the show notes. Daniel, thank you so much. This was so informative, so dense with information. I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. I really appreciate you being here. And thank you, everyone, for joining. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks, everyone, for being here. Have a good day, all. Thank you